Uh, so, welcome to Longbox Heroes After Dark, episode 150, uh, Burr's Roman Numeral 9. Mm-hmm. Just in case Todd actually had some questions for me in regards to what was going on on Twitter this past weekend regarding the world of professional wrestling. Um, and it was a lot of nonsense as Todd has come to deal with the world of professional wrestling. Um, granted, and this is about as political as this show gets, um... I don't know how so many people in my life have so much time to care about whether someone kneels or not. Mm-hmm. And that's the end of that chapter. Bang. <laughs> Who knows? That may come up against uh, uh, during my talk of SummerSlam 2002. Okay. But go ahead. All right. So, the long and the short of one of the things that you wanted me to discuss was... Wanted. Oh, go ahead. What? You did. Wanted. You did. But throw those air quotes up around wanted. You wouldn't. Now, again, this may get cut out of the show. I don't know. It depends on how deep this goes. But the really long and the short of this is uh, there are several companies in the world of independent wrestling that are vying for your streaming dollar. And they're all attempting to do um, different things. To get that streaming dollar. One of the biggest the bigger ones is this company called Flow Slam, who got in bed with the company called uh World Wrestling Network. Mm-hmm. Um as they had a relationship with the World Wrestling Entertainment. So it turns out this past week, now I'm gonna say this allegedly. Okay? While there are things that are provable in court documents and so forth, to protect myself, I'm going to say allegedly. Allegedly, World Wrestling Network may have lied about their numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, World Wrestling Network may have been paid an exorbitant amount of money. And put none of that money back into the product. Allegedly. Allegedly. Um, This Flow Slam, Flow Sports company decided, hey, uh, let's see those numbers again. uh, About what, you know, we were sold a bill of goods based on numbers you told us a year ago. And that's why we gave you X amount of money. Could we review that? Because that's not kind of lining up with what we've been seeing. And they said, oh, you know what? We lost those spreadsheets. Sorry, can't uh, can't verify that information. <laughs> they fell in the shredder accidentally. I guess. So, allegedly, 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 they fell in. So, Flow Slam decided to sue them to the tune of a million dollars. Um, allegedly, to they're suing them for a million dollars. That part's the true part. That could be proven. Allegedly to restructure their deal to get it to be a more reasonable number. Then they decided not to stream that company's events this past weekend. While all of this is going on, a young upstart um, streaming company that you may have heard of, Powerbomb.tv. I know of that one. They decided, since they were streaming a bunch of events this weekend as well, they said if you can prove to us in the loosest way possible, that you had a year subscription to Flow Slam, we'll give you six months free of our service. Wow. 
So, to say that the world of independent wrestling streaming is in a state of flux is an understatement. Now, mm-hmm. there's a lot more going on, Todd. But that's about as bare bones of it as I can get. I don't need any more bones. Right. Outside of saying, on October 22nd, uh, live on Powerbomb.tv from uh, Music PA, just like Break the Barrier was this past June, uh, the official Powerbomb TV event called Futures uh, will be held there and will be streaming live. And if you go to the event live, you can uh, be part of a meet-and-greet with Sean Waltman, uh, 123Kid, X-Pac, uh, Six, whatever name you might know him by. Right. So there's that so, plug for them. So th- this is in music this time? The same place that the previous one was, yes. I thought the last one was in Old Forge. Old Forge. Uh, it's all the same. Just making sure, hey, I'm trying to get your plugs right, okay? Listen, it's not as ridiculous as saying that you're going somewhere in Washington, D.C., and then it's actually two hours away in Reston, Virginia, in a completely different state. But uh, that's a joke that'll pay off if uh, you listen to the main show. Okay. Which doesn't exist yet. No, it doesn't. That's wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey. If that was a thing, then yes. Yes, if that was a thing. Ugh. So enough of this nonsense. <laughs> Um, if you want to know more about that, you know, as they say, my DMs are open. Oh, I think you're, you'll have a bunch of people sliding in. Right. Depends on who you are. I might ignore you. I don't know. But oh. let's get to what you're all here for, which is Gallifrey Birds, Roman numeral number nine. Uh, if this is your first time listening to one of these, if you're uninitiated, uh, I, not being a Doctor Who fan... Have to watch a hand-picked Doctor <laughs> Who uh, show, story, show. event, uh, arc, something. Uh, one of each of the Doctors. We're up to the ninth month, so it's the ninth Doctor. This is the beginning of when Doctor Who allegedly got good, and we'll get into that a little bit later. And Uh-oh. Todd uh, has to watch, uh, not a, a, la- a bit of a lapsed wrestling fan, has to watch a hand-picked by me wrestling event um and then we discuss them with our own unique slant on such things hmm so todd is going to discuss the events that happened at SummerSlam 2002 yes is that really what it's called there was a lot of um right now it's the biggest party of the summer oh okay i like feel the heat right because that reminds me of going to see a concert once with some of my friends and just a really long story short uh we were standing outside of the Wilkes-Barre Arena to see ACDC when they were on their Black Ice tour mm-hmm. and it was really cold outside but we decided we weren't going to wear our jackets from the parking lot to the door do you know what i mean cuz it's going to be cool yeah i didn't bring my denim jacket with the patches on um so I, I didn't bring my jacket because it was going to be hot in the, the arena. And it was really cold. It was r- one of those windy, brutal days. And as we were getting closer, the door would open to let somebody in, check the ticket, and they'd go. And that you could the heat was coming out the, out the, the door, and you could feel it. It felt good. And also there was uh, the roasted nuts were right there. Oh, yeah. And you could smell it. And I used the quote, Feel uh, every uh, every time that door opens, you can feel the heat and smell the nuts. 
And Matt Mang, our local bassist, uh, decided that that would be a great album name for ACDC if they ever decided was Feel the Heat and Smell the Nuts. I don't know. That's neither here nor there. Would you buy that album, Joe? No. No? Now, I'll give you. Now, if it was um, a Spinal Tap, it's more of a Spinal Tap album. I know. We were, all, album. we were all joking around. So I watched SummerSlam 2002, as they say around here. Right. Uh, uh, and as you said, it's not what was the big event of the summer or something they call it. Right. Uh, it's the the biggest party of the summer. Oh, and I think I think they should stick with that. Keep that forever. Um, but basically, it's in where was it in New York, Long uh, Rochester, right? Uh, this particular one was uh, in. It was it uh, Na- it was uh, uh, Nassau Coliseum. Nassau Coliseum. Yes, I didn't write that down. But uh, the thing that makes me very sad is that I, now I forgot it this time, um, which is a completely you know has never been done again in uh, in Raw, I guess, and, and WWE is that they were doing two different announcing teams because I forgot that this was was this around when SmackDown and Raw like split off. It hadn't been too long. That's correct. We're okay. just uh, a few months, maybe about two or three months off of the brand split. Right. So we were going to have announcers like for each uh, each uh, show, SmackDown and Raw. So it was Taz and Michael Cole. And then later we would see the King and Jr. for the for the Raw stuff. But uh, I was I was sad to see that both uh, Taz and Michael Cole just wore boring black ensembles. It was just, you know, just a tie, and I was like, no, I need, I need some of that good stuff. I miss like the '80s, uh, '90s fashion. But it starts out with Kurt Angle coming out to the ring in, uh, in red and white vertical stripes, which are very slimming on him. Right. So I was happy for that, and I was like, immediately you start with Kurt Angle, you have my attention. Because I think I've discussed this many times on the show before. Um, I understood Kurt Angle from promo one when I was watching back in the day. So seeing him come out and, you know, the you suck, you suck, the song, you know, just a, just a big fan of that. And then I found out he was fighting Ray Mysterio Jr. And I was, I was waiting to see what mask he had on. Because that's always the big thing, apparently, at pay-per-views. I remember you telling me. Or maybe it's just WrestleMania. But... It's just WrestleMania. Oh, okay, because it was a boring silver ensemble oh, that, that he had. Right. So, Yeah, I was, I, was not, I was not blown away by Rey Mysterio's SummerSlam uh, uh, outfit. But either way, I found out that Kurt Angle had vowed to break Rey Mysterio Jr.'s ankle. Which I didn't think was cool at all, because he needs that to like you know to feed his kids if he has any i don't i don't know if he's married or what but i found that interesting you know i even remember that he had the ankle locks i was like i think i know how he's gonna do it if he if he tries it just as a side note you you question whether or not ray mysterio has children Mm -hmm. i don't know okay well i only bring this up because two years later at the at 2004 SummerSlam, Mm -hmm. uh he would wrestle eddie guerrero in a ladder match for custody of Ray's son Dominic. Oh well, uh, that's always a good uh, stipulation. Dominic <laughs> you could... was Dominic; his child was not hung above the ring. Oh, see, you need to be in a shark cage above the ring. Right. That's the new thing I heard. Well, just when they have the play sets for them. 
Oh, I thought they just did that recently at a pay-per-view. They did was because it? there was like a play. They did it. Um, they did like the shark cage like three or four different times this year. I know. I heard like, I mean, through, because uh, I don't watch it, but Enzo and then Y2J was in it, wasn't right. he? And then on, on uh, one of the NXTs, they did it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, and this one was, you know, Kurt Angle, the, 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 the best real wrestler in the WWE um, versus one of those, as I think it's, uh, as Bradshaw would say, one of those flippy floppy wrestlers. Right. And you know that that's what a lot of it was, but uh, I, I always did like the uh, the it was the six one nine with Rey Mysterio Jr. Yeah, and what is that just like an area code? Is that why they they call that that? Yeah, it's the area code for San Diego, where he's from. Ah, the former home of the Chargers. Okay, um, are they Football. not there anymore? What's going on? No. They moved to Los Angeles. They moved to Los Angeles. The Rams moved back to Los Angeles, and the Raiders move, are moving to Vegas. Lots of moving in the NFL. Oh, anyway, let's not talk about football. Oh, I'm not. I'm not. Um, but you know, this is just a, to me an ordinary match. I didn't, you know, get much out of it. I did like uh, the way at the end when uh, uh, he's on the the turnbuckle and 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 he ends up getting. Uh, Angle sitting on the turnbuckle after, you know, reversing a move, and then he comes running up, and Angle reverses the Hurricane Ron, I think it's called, and he ends up just basically getting him in the in the, the, the ankle lock to, you know, just almost break it, but he doesn't break it, so I was disappointed in Kurt Angle. Um, like I said, I, this wasn't a match that was uh, completely blown away by. It was just a quick little starter match that uh, I thought was, was okay, you know what I mean? Right, getting that crowd hot. You know? Yeah, like other than it being Kurt Angle, that I was I was kind of interested in that. Then uh, then we see Stephanie McMahon, who looks slightly different from the last pay per view. Oh yeah, that I saw. There was something I don't know. She had a, she seemed more majestic this time than last All right. time. But uh, I did not realize that she, she was SmackDown's GM. She was the SmackDown GM. That's correct. Right. And uh great idea to have two GMs for for the show. Uh and I did not know Bischoff was the other GM because she goes into the you know, there's the whole that big sign on the door that says general man. She goes in, she thinks it's her office, and there's sleazy Bischoff sitting on the couch. Right. Cause that's the one thing that I did like about Bischoff was that uh that he like always just seems from what I saw here, I never saw him in the WCW and all that stuff. I was never, but he just, he just had an air of sleazy about him while he was talking to Stephanie the whole time. And uh, a little more fashion. I like the fact that uh, Bischoff went to the Neil Gaiman school of fashion. (laughs) I would say Johnny Cash, but he's not that cool. Um, Just the all black outfit. I was like, okay, I can kind of deal with that. I kind of, I kind of like it. And I like the fact that they have to, to share the office um, because that's not going to cause strife in any way throughout the show. The two competing GMs, you know, stuck in a room and, you know, sitting on that pleather couch, watching the matches on their little TV, man, they should have good thing. They have those big screens now that they can watch the, the matches on. But uh, two things I just want to mention about Eric Bischoff very quickly here, as you mentioned okay. about him and his black outfit. Mm-hmm. So when he had debuted on Monday Night Raw, mm-hmm. uh, he came out as his song to ACDC Back in Black. Right. One time. 
That's all they could afford. That's all they could afford. <laughs> Their sweetheart deal to name a previous SummerSlam the Highway to Hell and then use Highway to Hell as the song for the entire time. They couldn't get that same sweetheart deal here in 2002. Secondly, you mentioned about Eric Bischoff, sleazy, the competitiveness with him and Stephanie. Uh, Vince, uh, during the course of the remainder of this calendar year, would book Eric Bischoff to not only deeply and passionately kiss Stephanie, Mm -hmm. but also to deeply and passionately kiss Linda, his wife. Okay, put a pin in that. Okay. As we get to a little later in the show. All as right. And I could give you a little clue. It's a little something about you got a text the other night about. Okay. But, uh, so, uh, at this point, are, are you done there? I don't want to I'm step done. on and your shots. things, we're done. Okay. So now we get to, it is the JR and uh, King version of the show. And, you know, King's, or JR's got his hat on. So I like that. And JR's wearing... Uh, I don't know. Uh, King is wearing, I don't know, but it's beautiful, like this purple gold. You know, what I expect uh, Lawler to have on. So that's, that's absolutely fantastic. Um, so why it's, this match is going to be Y2Js versus a young, younger, younger Charlotte's grandfather. <laughs> Who, this is Charlotte's grandfather's young friend. Yes, yes. By the way, who is in a, like, three-quarters, half to three-quarters leathery look that he does, that he has now? Like, the leather look hasn't fully set into his, to his skin? So Come on that, now. What? He just beat death. Let's uh, give him a little bit of break here, huh? Oh, I'm sorry. That's right. I forgot. Uh, I'll be nice to him. Wink. Um, but, uh... So Y2J comes out without his light-up jacket that uh, Dean Ambrose ruined when he was still angry from not getting potato salad. <laughs> That's the only reason I can think he still has issues about that. But uh, I-, I like the fact that he's doing his, his strut, even though he's a spry 52 years old. And let me tell you something, Joe. If Rick was wrestling at 52 years old, it's not about the money. You know he's doing it for the love. Because there's no way, you know, like, at 52, you're wrestling for the cash. Because he probably set aside all that money, right? And he's just like, I love the biz. It's got to be that. Well, see, here's the thing. <laughs> okay. I, I hate going off on these tangents, but with with Ric Flair, it's a little bit of both. No, I know. They call... <laughs> I, I even heard... I've heard the story about, like, Triple H telling the kids, like, the new guy, hey, you know, you're coming in to the to the league, you know, or into the, the Federation, you're coming to the big leagues, make sure you do this and do that, and donate your money. Now, I don't know about that, but... I, that's a, something I heard from... Uh, I'm not a wrestling fan, like, of your caliber, somebody who knows more, if you Okay. <laughs> so... Flair is one of the people that have the sickness, right? <laughs> and by that I mean, if Ric Flair had billion, if he saved every nickel mm-hmm. that he made from his like his glory days, mm-hmm. he'd still be wrestling. Now there's a ton of guys that they saved their money, they made some smart purchases, maybe they got into some real estate things, maybe they didn't. 
Maybe they op- maybe they opened pasta houses and malls or got involved with juicers, stuff right. like that. Many or opened up a beach shop mm-hmm. and have a lifelike wax dummy of their best friend in the beach shop. Okay. Just randomly mentioning these people, but not to spoil this, so years later Ric Flair would have a match at WrestleMania. Um again, Shawn Michaels, loser must retire. Wait Rick a Flair loses. They have the big send off to him. Um, they wanted to keep him as an on air talent. They wanted to keep him under payroll, but the problem was Rick still wanted to wrestle, so he let his contract at WWE lapse, which he was making good money, essentially just to do like public appearances and stuff like that, mm-hmm. to go work for TNA for a lot less money, but they let him wrestle. Oh, it's in the blood. Right. The sickness is what they call it. Let, let me just say, I think when Gallif Freebirds is over, I'm going to be able to retire from wrestling. You think so? You're not going to come back and say, I want to watch more old wrestling <laughs> events? I don't know. It might be in my blood now. Like, you know, like blood poisonings in your blood. Right. Well, luckily, there's nano genes here that cured me <laughs> of what I've been watching over the last nine months. But that's for a little bit later on. Yeah, you hold it. Don't tip. You, I don't want to tip my hand. You hold that hot nano gene talk for later. I don't need that now. But uh, I do like that, you know, as this match is going on, you have, uh, like, these two wrestlers trying to use each other's moves. Like, Flair tries to get, you know, Jericho with the with the walls of Jericho, but Jericho turns it into the to the figure four uh, done, I guess, the correct way, not the way that the Talking Dead uh, commentator does. But I was hoping he'd turn it into the, 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 the figure eight. Like, like Charlotte did. I hope that I was hoping that that was back where, you know, we got it. But, uh, you know, my favorite part is when, uh, I forget what move Y2J gets on Flair for the, for like, you know, he's going to tap him out and he's reaching for the ropes. And the, the thing Y2J must have been put, putting the, the, I think it was the walls of Jericho on him so hard that Flair must have been in so much pain, he didn't notice that he was so close to the ropes that he could have just grabbed the bottom one because his hand was over it. But instead, he's reaching for the middle rope. And I just found it hysterical because I was like, if you just drop your hand, it'll land on the bottom rope, rope, which I think still counts. I'm correct, right? It does. It does. Technically, as soon as your hands go through the ropes, you don't even have to touch them. (laughs) Right, the, the but hold he, he should be broken. Right, but it was one of those. Maybe he wasn't through the middle, but you know what I mean. Like the way his arm is reaching for the middle rope, he's got to extend because he's up higher. But I'm like, if you just dropped your arm, it would flop right on the rope. I found that funny, but I will give them. I will give the WWE credit for this. The ending to this match is that he grabs the rope and taps at the same time, and I'm like, oh my god! Like he tapped and grabbed the rope. Like which one is it? And 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 Lawler's like I saw him tap and and uh and King or, or Jr is like I saw him grab the rope and they're going back and forth and they cut to the uh to the to the instant replay and it's one of the few times that the WWE that I or any other wrestling association that you show me tries to do something cute like this 
and they can actually show the videotape because it works. He actually does grab the rope and tap the thing at the same time, so it doesn't look completely stupid. Like, oh, I forget what what it was. We were watching the pay-per-view, and Jarrah was like, we can't tell from this angle, or or somebody else. And I'm like, you mean the perfect angle where his shoulders are off the canvas when he hits the three count? Like, but, so it kind of... I kind of find it like I'm like wow it works when you're not trying to get too tricky where like two people fall out of the ring for the Royal Rumble at the same time and they land but you can blatantly see that that foot hit by like three seconds so and uh, I, to give these guys credit this is a tough thing to pull off to get that timing exact mm-hmm. uh, a few months later they would try something similarly cute with uh, Kurt Angle and Undertaker. Where uh, Kurt has the Undertaker in a pinning or in a submission, Undertaker's fighting out of it. He rolls Kurt over onto his shoulders. Referee goes for the count one, two, and it's supposed to be at the exact moment the referee hits three that Undertaker taps out. Right? Mm-hmm. So they screw it up. So then, like they screwed up in front of the live crowd. So after all the fans leave, they redo it in extreme close up. Mm-hmm. and edit that into the show where they get the timing right. And it's very awkward. It is. It's like the lighting's slightly different. Right, right. And everybody's winking into the camera at that point. <laughs> Undertaker's wearing his hat. Mm-hmm. He, oh, w- which one, the wide-brimmed one yeah. or the, the thinner one? Okay, because it's not uh, the American badass, not that, not his uh, do-rag or anything. Right, hey, but you get what I'm saying. Right, no, I know. I just love the the many shades of Undertaker, and I like at the end, like uh, after uh, he's strutting around, uh, Flair strutting around the ring with the bad wheel. He's like, "Oh, my leg," because you know he's he got hurt. that was what the the submission was on. He's like, "Oh, but he's still doing the strut," and you know you got to give it like I you you wrestling fans love the the flare strut. He didn't drop on his jacket. That that's one of my favorite things. But, you know, at 52 he can't be doing that. But uh, at this point we get the we get a Hulk promo for one of his for his DVD, right? Which is the Hulk still rules, I guess. Um that I want to watch. That looks fantastic with all the flashes of uh the time he it even has the clip where he slammed, body slammed the big show the the not the big show the father of big show Andre the giant and Andre died the next day isn't that what was Hulk and then, Hogan tore every muscle in his back right and then that was, Andre weighed nine hundred pounds at the time right and that must have been right around the time that Boss Man stole the body by chaining the casket to his car and Big Show rode it away because that's who his father was Andre the giant right. A lot of this is nebulous, yes. Yes. Oh, I'm just remembering them stealing the giant's father's body or something. Was it the mother or the father? It was the father. Okay, well, then it had to be Andre, because I've been told that that's who it was. Right. So, but I will, I, I do like, the, when when Hogan comes back, does he still come out to Jimi Hendrix? Like, the way you're saying Bischoff came out to ACDC, they don't pay. Does Hogan have the, the Jimi Hendrix oh, money? Oh, yeah, 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 he still came out to that. Okay, because uh, that every time you hear, wah, 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 what is it, Voodoo Child? Yes, fantastic songs. I, I never, I never get tired of that. But then we cut into Polly, 
uh, he's Heyman at this time. He's not dangerous anymore. Right. Um, doing, uh, just burying Hogan after that little DVD promo. And I did not know that Lesnar beat Hogan. Yeah. Just before this. How come when they were like doing that whole like crazy, you know, all the things that, that Lesnar's beat, like, you know, he went on that tyrant. I never saw anything about him beating Hogan. That should have been one of the things that was on his belt, like the greatest wrestler who ever lived. Well, we don't uh, freely show Hulk Hogan on TV. He's still, you know, not the... Oh, what's the word? He's not someone favorably we look at in the world wrestling entertainment these days. Is it because of certain talks about... uh about race stuff and stuff yes. like that. Okay, because yes. I remember hearing. Wasn't there something to do with the sex tape and that was on there? That's correct. Oh boy, didn't that take down? Didn't he like sue the hell out of a certain like website or something? Uh that's correct. Uh, Gawker, uh, Gawker's website. There's actually a documentary on Netflix about it called uh, "Don't Speak." Uh, that my friend David's actually in the documentary. Oh, that's cool. And I like how it's like he he talks about Paul, he talks about how he destroyed, you know, Hogan and like, you know, that's the end of Hogan and stuff like that. And, you know, I guess that's what that's what happened. But Lesnar, I like it the way they start promoting Lesnar as the next big thing. Mm-hmm. Boy, howdy, did did they know back then, I guess. And I can't even believe that Lesnar's been in wrestling for what, fifteen years now? Right. Off and on, because I know he went and he uh he uh, went and did UFC and Martin, uh, mixed martial arts and all that stuff back and forth. So I don't know how often he disappeared and uh, came back, you know, to, to stuff like that. But uh, so I thought that was cool. And they get into that later about like when we get to the Rock versus Brock match, just how he's the next big thing. But then we slide into Latino Heat versus Edge. And as he's coming out, I found it amusing that they 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 zoom in on someone who has a sign that says deport Eddie. And I'm like, boy, times haven't changed at all. Have they with, like you said, the political stuff that's going on. It would be fun to see now if he was, you know, you got to talk about this political stuff, Joe, and it's not going to get any more political. It's not like the anti patriotic, patriotic people on this pay-per-view. Right. So, but, uh, Oh boy. What's the matter? Nothing. But, uh, and at this point, I noticed in the, and I gotta ask this, cause it may be nothing, or it may be something in wrestling that you would know, that someone has a pork sign in the audience. Is that anything? Cause that shows up all through the show. I don't know the significance of it in this particular instance. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Uh, but, uh, one of the cool things that I, that uh, I like was Eddie almost did the old school rope walk, uh, like that The Undertaker did, but he got pushed by Edge. And he did the whole, you know, falling on it and he you know, between the legs ropes and he's, you know, bouncing up and down. So, uh, and I don't know. I just, I, this is another one that I just kind of liked the match, but I, I don't know. I later on is when the, the pay-per-view gets better. Um, so I even forget who ended up winning this match. Edge won, right? Uh, I think, uh, yeah, Edge beat him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we get to a promo for, the Un-Americans, Christian, Test, and some guy. I don't know who that was. Was that Lance Storm, I think they that were saying? That was Lance Storm, correct. 
and they have upside down flags on their shirt and it says un-American and they have flags that are up like the, the symbol of distress. And the thing that I, that I realized, I didn't realize it, that it's SummerSlam 2002, yes. which is in August of 2002, which is slowly creeping up on the first year anniversary of 9-11. This is true. Did they do anything with that? I just find that, like, looking back, that that, that blows me away, like, just closing in on that, mon- you know, mon- monumentous uh, anniversary that they they would do something. I was wondering if maybe they had them, like, lose big around that time or anything. Um, I don't remember exactly how the whole angle gets wrapped up. Um, I do know that a little bit later on in the year, they end up adding William Regal to their ranks. Mm-hmm. So that gives uh, them some legitimacy once they have the English involved. Right, right. Now, in related or unrelated, but I, I would be remiss to mention it, you talk about these sort of things. Um, about three years later, maybe you remember, maybe you don't. Um, I know you're not following current World Wrestling Entertainment, but the current SmackDown champion is Jinder Mahal. Yes, he was part of... 3M something? Right, 3MB, three-man band. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, many years earlier, there was a gentleman on uh, SmackDown whose name was Muhammad Hassan. Okay. Doing a very similar gimmick to what Jinder is doing currently. Um, then, um, right around the time, unrelated, uh, there was a, London, uh, a bombing that took place in London. Uh, around the 4th of July. Mm-hmm. Um, Islamic terrorists were involved and so on and so forth. They decided that would be a good homage for the uh, Muhammad Hassan Undertaker angle that was going on. Mm-hmm. And they attempted to replicate the look of the people who were caught in those London bombings oh, Jesus. as assailants to assist uh, Muhammad Hassan against oh, The Undertaker. God. Now, this was taped, uh, and UPN immediately pulled it, <laughs> did not allow it to air. Maybe they didn't get the memo for the cable recap shows that weekend, and maybe Muhammad Hassan was taken off TV and fired two months later. Um, but again, this is usually how WWE has their finger on the pulse when it comes to these sort of things, and this goes all the way back to when Sergeant Slaughter was an Iraqi sympathizer. Right. And in going into his match with Hulk Hogan, he was gifted a pair of Iron Sheik-style pointy boots. Oh, boy. From uh, Saddam Hussein himself. Oh, my God. And they were going to have him, on the same day that he received this gift from uh, Saddam Hussein, burn the American flag. And they had to be talked out of it by... Pretty much everyone, and instead he burned a Hulk Hogan T-shirt in effigy. Ugh, can you only imagine? Like, it, like this literally happened within like weeks of the Gulf War. So while WWE may be out of touch when it comes to like pop culture stuff, mm-hmm. or have been in the past, when it comes to th- things of national distress, they're right on top of it. Oh my god! Because I can't even imagine like, 
And and like they give like don't they doesn't like WWE give like discounts to veterans yes. and stuff like that and it's like yes. why would you even like they next thing for a period of time would air all of their pay per views for free I'm sure they still do they don't like advertise it as much but it was I know it was a big deal in like the late 80s and into the 90s and everything else like that that they would air all of their pay per views for free on the United Force uh. The United Forces, like the United Arms Network or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I just, I, it just boggles me. Some of the, some of the storylines that I have seen over the years. Right. Just like, I know, like, that's not even the cringiest one. The cringiest one I might be when, did they give Terry Runnels a miscarriage because somebody pushed her? That's correct. That was the one that I found the, like the, the most questionable of tastes. Right. But then it probably turned out she was lying, right? Was- right, and she was using it as blackmail to make D'Lo Brown go and buy her tampons. Right, and right. I think he, you know, had to hawk his chest protector to buy those. Right. Now, this would be a perfect time for me to do my Jim Clarinet impersonation. Go ahead. In discussing my feelings about that angle. But let's get back to the show. <laughs> okay. Goddamn! Uh- if I had a woman who had a miscarriage, I'd be like, fuck you, motherfuckers! What G-D- the hell? GD, Yeah, Double cheese, double mayo, burger towel. I don't even know what that means, and I I don't want to know. That is one of the things that, uh, that's like a trigger for Jim Cornette as well. Is he was working for the WWE when they did that angle. And he was, like, flipping out backstage, I guess, when they did it. Oh, my God. Yeah. Jim Cl- Clarinet, he's the best. Maybe Jim's I should start... Jim's a passionate man. Maybe I should start listening to his podcast. Uh, I, can, I can get you the good bits to listen to. Okay. I was worried. So, uh, the next match is, can you dig it, sucker? Booker T mm-hmm. and Gold Dust. Versus the Un-Americans, Christian, and that some guy, uh, Lance Storm. I just don't get anything from Lance Storm. Like, he looked like literally generic wrestler guy. I don't know if he's legendary or whatever. But from here on out, Lance Storm for me will be known as some guy. All right. But uh, during this match, Goldust really needs, I don't know if he still does it, he needs to jump in the ring at people butt first more. That was like his first move in the ring was like he came running at the guy, turned around and leaped and hit him with his butt. And I'm like, does Goldust still do that? Because that should be his go-to move. That should be his like gimmick. That should be like the gold butt, the butt bump, something. Butt dust. I don't know. Just, just do that because it was fan. It made me laugh. Right. It was, it was, uh, uh, just like to me, like a comedy routine, but, uh, it was interesting seeing, uh, Booker T back in, I haven't seen him wrestle in a long time. I always liked him. Right. Uh, but he's wrestling and I like, uh, that he's blasting Christian all around the ring and that, that some guy, Lance Storm tries to kick Booker and hits the ref. Um, but Booker T before he, uh, you know, just gets, don't mind me. I'm, I'm fried tonight, but, right. uh, just to me, like this is another one of those matches that I really didn't care much about. Uh, other than the fact that Booker T, I missed the spin Rooney. Mm-hmm. Um, and before Booker T does the spin Rooney, that he shakes his hand in front of his face, right? Just like the opposite of John Cena, who shakes his 
he shakes his head in front of his hand, but Cena shakes his hand in front of his head. So I think they should fight over that gimmick. I think that would be fantastic. Um, I think that would be the stupidest thing in the world, but I missed the spinner Um Booker gets a nine count because uh, Lance Storm knocked the ref out, which I always love when like the fans are counting like to nine and then Booker T has to get up and look look for the ref when Tess runs in and kicks the snot out of Booker T so the uh the un-Americans can get the win and hopefully the uh match with the Undertaker versus Tess can you know re-fix that because you can't have the un- uh the un-Americans win in a uh you know in the pay-per-view it's just not it's just not good for business um, now this is where I find it funny and we're coming back to the thing that I, I told you to put the pin in. We cut to WWE Times Square. Right. Uh, where we cut to Nydia and Jamie Noble, I guess. Yes. Which I guess they're having a makeout contest. And I don't know if I'm the, the vibe that I'm getting from Jamie Noble and Nydia is that they're a couple, but then Jamie's like, pick which, and he's like really redneck. Pick which one, you know, you're going to make out with. And he, they pick that. He's like, sorry, loser, you you get out of here. Do, do it, honey. Get in there. And she just dives just go, on. Yeah, get in there. Get in there, honey. Get, get in there, honey. Right. And yeah, do that thing with that tongue you do. And I'm like, like, are we getting a cuckold gimmick from the WWE? And then you tell me that. He hired Bischoff to make out with his daughter right. and his wife and was like like mm. Vince into some sketchy stuff around this time. Did I ever tell you the story about Vince and leaves when he was a child? No. All right. That's I don't want to distract you any more than I've already distracted you. Yes. You um, have me off. You have me on tilt, a poker term. You have right. me on tilt with all that stuff. <laughs> but Jamie Noble and Nidia would later bring other people into their little group. Everyone from Tajiri to Billy Gunn. To others, uh, they'd be like, yeah, if you help me out with this match, you could have my girl. That's really? Right. Yes. Wow. Oh, Mr. Ass, you don't need that. You can right. get your own. He might have been the one Billy. This was post-Mr. Ass, but mm-hmm. pre-Billy and Chuck. Ah. To kind of give you where Billy Gunn was at that time. Wait a minute. Billy and Chuck? Billy, okay, now see, I didn't mean to get you off on a tangent with this. Billy Gunn and another wrestler, Chuck Palumbo, were essentially doing the, um, remember the ambiguously gay duo? Right. They were doing that as a tag team gimmick. Mm hmm. So then it started to get some publicity that the World Wrestling Entertainment was having characters portrayed on TV as, you know, a gay couple. Mm-hmm. So WWE's like, hey, let's milk this for all it's worth. Let's mm-hmm. have them get married live on an episode of SmackDown. Wait a minute, Joe. What? And all, all wrestling weddings go off without a hitch. <laughs> That's a thing I've learned watching wrestling, Joe. All wrestling weddings without a hitch, no exceptions. Right. How did this wedding go, Joe? Let's just say it involved... <laughs> How many episodes of Scooby-Doo ended? Uh-oh, with old man Johnson losing his mask? <laughs> with the preacher being revealed as Eric Bischoff in old man makeup. Oh, was it, were you able to know beforehand? No, they did a really good job of the makeup. Like, 
he's doing like this fake over the top like preachery voice. Oh, just like the TV show preacher. Now, this was also uh at the time on Raw to get the ratings up. You've heard of uh TLC from previous shows, Todd, Table Ladders and Chairs. Yep. So, Bischoff was bringing to Raw HLA. Todd, you're going to ask me what does HLA stand for? Hmm? It stands for Hot Lesbian Action. <laughs> oh my god, really? Where, where they would have local indie workers who were females come out in various stages of undress and kiss. And if it wasn't up to Bischoff's liking, he would send his two giant uh, Samoans out to beat them up. And how often did that happen? On a weekly basis for the better part of three months. No, now, did anybody ever not get beat up? Well, it was to build up that these guys were like killers, like, anytime a match wasn't going wrong, Bischoff had like a catchphrase that like, oh, because the name of the team was Three Minute Warning. So he would Mm -hmm. always say like, oh, something, did I just say three minutes? That would be their cue, and they would come down and beat up whoever's in the ring, whether it be other wrestlers, managers, girls, whatever it was. So when Bischoff is posing as the preacher wearing the old man makeup, something, something comes up, and then all of a sudden he drops the voice, and in the Bischoff voice says, wait a minute, did you just say three minutes? And like that's when the crowd's like, ah! And the three-minute warning come out, they beat a Billy and Chuck, and then there's your, there's your feud. Ah! And that's when it was revealed that Billy and Chuck weren't gay, not that there's anything wrong with that. Okay, Seinfeld. Um... That's what they actually said! That's what he says! No, I know, I know. Um, but uh, I like after the uh, the cuckold segment <laughs> right. that they cut to Bischoff and Stephanie in their office on the pleather couch, and Bischoff literally says that Nydia has what it takes and knows her place in wrestling. Good thing female wrestlers don't have to put up with that kind of mindset from management or fans anymore. It was a different right? time, Todd. We don't talk about it, that. We don't, we don't. But uh, I was just like, wow, just like I forgot like some of the stuff they do. Um, so now next is the International Intercontinental Championship match with Redacted versus RVD. Yes. Um, but basically, RVD beats Redacted and takes the belt back to Raw. And here's the thing that I have to ask you about because it's touched on and then never mentioned again in the in the uh, thing is that he's. He, Bischoff's like, well, it's coming back with me to Raw, the Intercontinental Champion. I guess that would go back and forth between the shows? Under normal circumstances, no. Okay. Um, the only title that was supposed to go back and forth was the title that that the, that the Rock held coming in, the undisputed title. Okay. But with the brand split, it was supposed to be that every once in a while, as a special attraction, we would do a Raw versus SmackDown match. And it just so happened that this time it was Raw versus SmackDown where a title was on the line and then that title was lost and brought over to Raw. <laughs> All right. Well, in this, Bischoff's like taunting Stephanie that it's coming back to us now. And he's like, so like in your face, Nancy Grace, you know, like kind of a thing. And Stephanie just starts laughing, like, hysterically, like, kind of like she knows something's up, and then that's never touched on again, like, in the pay-per-view. Was, does that have anything to do with the shows or anything like that later? Do you know what I'm talking about? Not or? that I remember. Um, I think it was, um, 
an issue where, like, Benoit won the title because of something in his contract. To be honest with you, I don't remember exactly what it was. Okay, I just thought I'd ask because it jumped out at me. Do you know what I mean? Right. And I was waiting for her to, like, drop a bomb on Bischoff oh, at some point. Okay, so what it was was Benoit was originally on Raw. Mm-hmm. He beat Benoit. He beat Van Dam for the title, and then said, "I'm going to SmackDown." So that was how SmackDown initially got the Intercontinental title. Benoit was a Raw guy. Van Dam was a Raw guy. Benoit wins, and just leaves and goes to SmackDown with the belt. But he had to have his one rematch, and the rematch it came back. So whatever their plan was to get the Intercontinental title on SmackDown backfired. Okay. It just took me, like, you know... It's a I, lot like, of nonsense, I, is what it is. Not a problem. There's just, like, you know, unanswered questions that, that I like to know sometimes. So then the the, the next match is uh, Tess versus The Undertaker, mm-hmm. which uh, Undertaker comes out with no Limp Bizkit, the no no check for Limp Bizkit this time. Was it he st- the, the You Done It Now or whatever it was? I think so, but it definitely wasn't uh, the song that he came... What was the song that he come up? Roll and roll. Yeah, it wasn't that because I was wondering if the, the the that there was something with like they if they did back in the day come out to that song and then it was changed for it, the DVD you gave me. You know what I mean? No, no. Um, I think it was one of those deals where he came back. Oh boy, like two years pr- or a year prior, mm-hmm. and it might have been one of those things where like they might have only had like a year license on it, and that's why they changed it over to something different. Mm-hmm. And this is, I guess, this is one of those matches that, from everything I understand, about it's like a Vince McMahon wet dream. Right. It's like two big men in the ring slowly beating each other up. Because <laughs> that's what I got from it. It's like there's no there's no finesse here. There's nothing that I can really commentate on. It's just it's just the two of them, you know, beating each other up, and then obviously uh, Christian and and that some guy are going to try and help test out. And, you know, that doesn't go well because The Undertaker just cleans house and starts choke slamming everybody all around the ring. But then the thing that seemed to get the most attention is that Undertaker beat uh, Test with the Tombstone pile driver, which apparently, like, sent JR into, like, palpitations because he's like... He had brought it out of mothballs. Like, had Undertaker not used the tombstone in a long time? He had not been using it since he had returned uh, June of the previous year, yes. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and like, you know, because obviously now we fix the fact that the Un-Americans won earlier on in the show and the American badass beat the Un-American and kicked all their asses. And so, at first I thought... Undertaker was stealing a, uh, a gimmick from Italian Precipitation because he goes into the crowd. I thought he was going to leave going through the crowd. Um, but he goes and he grabs an American flag, right? And he comes back to the ring and he does the, you know, the wrestler climbs the, the ropes and the, stands on the, the ropes and in the corner and lifts up the flag. But in a moment, while he's lifting up the flag, he actually has the flag upside down for a second. And he goes like, oh, whoa, no, 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 the other way, the other way. And holding it up, I was like, because I think it would have been funnier if uh, you know Undertaker did all that to beat the Un-Americans and then held the flag upside down, not knowing. And they're like, and the fans were like, "Wait a minute, is Undertaker one of the Un-American badasses now?" Would have been a, a great gimmick, don't you think? A storyline? No. Well, there was one time. Mm-hmm. I'll tell this one as quickly as I can. Uh, several years prior, 
as a replacement on a Survivor Series team of the All-Americans mm-hmm. to prove his American allegiance. Mm-hmm. This was like Dead Man Zombie Undertaker opened up his jacket and raised his arms to reveal an old bicentennial era American flag sewn into his jacket, <laughs> which he only wore one time. Because apparently, according to him, his dog ate the jacket. That doesn't sound right. Or, he thought it was a stupid idea, did it once to appease Vince, <laughs> and then said, my dog ate the jacket. How about I, let's not do that again. Mm-hmm. I think, I'm just, just saying, I right. think, the do- I, I'm putting money on the dog. That's right. all I'm going to say. Because, you know... I, that's just I, oh my god just some of the stories you have for me these days but uh so that we move on to the triple h versus Shawn michaels match which was unsanctioned joe right which i don't know what that means other than at some point jr said that it's even worse than a hardcore match so i don't know did they dim the lights don't they have to dim the lights before unsanctioned matches that was back in the old days before vince took professional wrestling out of smoke-filled halls <laughs> cuz i was waiting i was waiting for the lights to go out and see like the announcer like you know this is un- we're going to turn off the lights for i was like come on turn off the lights for the unsanctioned match cuz joe always told me about that and i was like okay but it 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 turned out and i'm not even sure did was it unsanctioned cuz as i'll get into it because of Shawn Michaels' back, is that why they had to do it? Right. So this is Shawn Michaels' first match in four and a half years. Mm-hmm. Because he had retired due to legitimate reasons. Right. He had surgery on his back, right? Right. Okay. And, uh... <laughs> I what? like that right. I love that right. But and this ahead. was kind of a way to be like, well, he's not medically cleared to wrestle, but he has this heated rivalry where he wants to get his hands on that dirty... Uh, best friend of his, Triple H. And this is a way that we can kind of do a match and do little, lots of smoke and mirrors, lots of, lots of gaga, lots of gimmicks, as it were. Mm-hmm. Uh, not the same gimmicks that Sean would have in his fanny pack five years earlier, doot, doot, doot. But, <laughs> okay. um, it was just a way because Sean was ready for a comeback. Mm-hmm. Um, he healed from his back surgery. Mm-hmm. As most people do. <laughs> well, um, I do like the promo that they showed. This is the first, like, you know, like uh, one of the things that I kind of the video missed packages. About. Yes, just fan video packages. I'm sorry, I'm getting all the terminology wrong. But it's like, oh, it shows them they're like they're buddies again, like buddies. They're in the ring and they're doing like their little moves and dancing. And all of a sudden, you know, Triple H just destroys Shawn Michaels and. The crowd is like, oh my God, like Kennedy got shot. Like you can't, you can't do this. And I love the fact that like, you know, he's talking about, he's bad mouthing Shawn Michaels. And my favorite quote in the, in the, in the recap package is I used him to get to the top and he used me to stay at the top. That's fantastic writing, Joe. I, I like that. But then Sean gets his face busted on this on a windshield of a car, and they have some grainy photo or foot, uh, video footage. And let me tell you, Triple H swore that he would get to the bottom of it, Joe, because they may be they may be enemies, but he's he's going to find out who it is. And luckily, they NCIS that, 
and they were able to clean up the footage apparently. Right. And it was it was Triple H all along, Joe. And I just I just find it funny that like literally they had grainy tape and you know Triple H is trying to say it wasn't him and you're like it's probably going to be uh Triple H who who ended up uh who doing it. So I I just that was cute. And I just like how they like did the whole tape so it was fake grainy that those are some good effects those are some doctor who level effects right there oh boy but uh so we we cut to you know them getting in the ring and Shawn michaels comes in with his uh his uh good shirt on there with the, the philippines uh you know was it 316 or whatever sure because he, he was born again at this point i guess yes all right, I'm just asking the way you're the way you're doing all this, but I do love that uh, the fact that the fans did go crazy. Like you said, this is the, the like four years since he's been in the ring last, right? So he comes in, and then Triple H come comes in, you know. And I love the way Sean is like working the crowd. He's like doing the little strut to the crowd, and Sean laying on the the corner ropes, just like kind of like looking at. Uh, Triple H, like one of the things that I did notice about Shawn Michaels is, you know, like you have a lot of things that got, that I noticed that wrestlers are good at. Shawn is really good at making certain facial expressions. <laughs> like just him like, hey, like I'm on the corner turnbuckle here waiting for you, Triple H. Just like nonchalantly and, and all that stuff. I just, I thought it was really cool. But, uh, you know, Shawn and Triple H go at it. And I mean, it's, it's pretty, I have to admit that they make it pretty brutal the way Triple H goes after Sean and they make it explicit because as we said, he's had this back surgery and it's, you know, he, had, he, he's fully, not fully recovered. So it, cause this is unsane that Triple H is going to make the most of it. He's hitting them with chairs on the back. He's dropping them on doing, you know, uh, body drops on the chair chair shots to the back he's doing abdominal stretches to just hurt that back and you know like and it it's pretty brutal and i like the way uh king and jr like oh my god like he did it he came back but he should you know just give up he's out there like you know giving it his all like his his son you know who's never seen him wrestle before didn't expect to see this tonight and that makes me think that, like, at some point, like, he wanted to... Did, did he come back to wrestling just to show his kid who had never seen him wrestle before? Does that have anything to do with it, do it you think? Is. That's, like, that's the reason Goldberg came back last year. Right, because I remember that. He was like, my kid never saw me be the hero, and I'm going to be the superhero. And there was a couple ways that JR said it, and I may not have said it as eloquently as him, but he snuck it in, and I'm like, I feel like Shawn Michaels may have been done with wrestling, but he literally is, that's the one thing I came away with, is, is he's doing this to show his kid like you never saw me wrestle live. All we had, not live. I don't know if he was there, but you never saw me do it. You saw it all on tape, and I'm going to give you a match for him. And that's basically, like I said, what I got from it all. Uh, so I think that's interesting. And I like the fact that Triple H crotch chops right in the front of uh, Shawn Michaels' face, like, you know, which is the ultimate insult because that was their move and all that stuff. But uh, then, like, even Triple H just, like, takes the belt off, uh, uh, off Shawn. He beats him with it. And, you know, at this point now, the crowd is starting to chant HBK. And I think. 
he's going to come back into it. But no, like Triple H just beats him down some more. And I even like uh, that the fact that Earl Hebner like loses his mind on Triple H at one point for like doing stuff like throwing like I'm going to hit him with this and I'm going to hit him with that. And I've never seen a ref do that in the history of wrestling, like literally start shoving uh, wrestlers uh, sh- shoving Triple H and just like you can't do that and like putting a wrestler in his place because usually that gets you you beat up. Was that like a uh, have they have ever really done anything like that before? Yes. Oh, okay. I just uh, it was kind of an Earl Hebner staple. It was kind of a Ric Flair staple that he would do. Hmm. Um. I think Sean had a different relationship with Earl Hebner than most. So Earl was probably, if I'm not mistaken, referee for most of, if not all of Sean's matches on his return. uh, So they can kind of work this sort of thing into whoever Sean was wrestling against. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and just like I said, Triple H is basically just beating the crap out of him. And you think, like I said, you think that each time... Sean is going to like you know mount that comeback. Triple H just destroys him. And one of the things that I like that showed like that tri- that Sean had heart. Joe was that he you know he would body drop him on the chair and then try to pin him. And it was one two and he would kick out. And Triple H just kept going to, like to repin him like three or four times. Then he get up and destroy him and do it again. And it's like and it was just the way like I said Jr. was like oh my god like he he, he has anything left. No one would you know belittle him if. He gave up. We think you you should just give up, Sean. Just give up, Sean. And no, like that's that's not it. it, it at one point, he's down and out, and they're you know after the two of them are bloody and fighting, and they're both like two zombies, and they both like do the the, the double fall, and then Sean does the is it called the kip up? Yes. And the crowd goes nuts. And this is when, like, Shawn Michaels and I, and I legitimately got excited. This is the best match on the card tonight. Um, it's when Sean goes on the attack and the, the fans start going crazy and he's pulling out ladders and he's like, you know, looking at the ladder and he's like, should I, I love the look, like, he's like, should I crowd? And you know the crowd's gonna say yes. And it's just like, he's like, huh? Uh, you want me to do it? And he's like, beating him with the chair. And then at one point, he literally puts the boot to Triple H by stealing the boot off the Spanish announcer and beating the crap out of Triple H with it. He picks up his belt to get revenge for him slapping on it, and he's doing the whole, like, I'm gonna rub the, the, the belt buckle in your face, and oh my god, you've just gotten bloodier because of that, even though you were open wide. Um, and then, like, he's he puts Triple H on a table because the, the, the crowd's chanting for table, and he puts him on the table, and he climbs up to the top rope, and Triple H is on the table outside the ring, and he's doing the whole, like, yep, I'm crazy. He's doing, like, you know, the the, the facial expressions and thing, and he, he jumps through the table, and they're chanting, holy shit, and... It's just it's just really amazing and ends up, you know, beating Triple H for for the win. And it's it's kind of cool. And then they do the close tight shot on Shawn Michaels while everybody's giving him the praise. King and and JR are like, oh my god, he did it. And then that's when whenever they close in tight on somebody, Joe, 
with the camera. I'm like, when is Triple H going to come running in or some other guy going to come running in? And then he comes in and hits him in the back with the sledgehammer. That surgically repaired back, Joe. After he's done all that damage, I'm surprised he didn't end his career right there and proceeds to let him know that he does it again and just beats the crap out of his back and then laughs all the way up the the ramp as he's leaving and they have to put him on the stretcher with the neck brace and everything. I love the fact of how heel Triple H is, like, laughing, doing that. Like, I don't know. To me, he's, like, one of the great, like, you know, evil guys in the WWE. I just, I honestly love the ending to that match. That Triple H, you know, gets the revenge and destroys his back, but Sean ends up winning the match, like, after all the abuse that he's taken. It, It was really well done. One of the arguably one of the best matches of quote unquote the modern era of world wrestling entertainment. Mm-hmm. And at this point, I know we're going into the home stretch with Brock versus Rock, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, there's no, there's nothing else to go. And, but no, wait, the, Howard Finkel comes out, <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell is Howard Finkel? And Trish Stratus comes down. And starts flirting with them, and, t- and he's talking about puppies because I remember puppies were big at this time in right. uh, WWE, but literally but, and figuratively. Yes, yes. And he's talking about like how she's got the puppy, but he's got the wiener. And I'm like, this is this is absolutely terrible. And he's she's like, oh well. And they're like, is he gonna kiss her? Is she gonna kiss him? Oh my god, don't kiss the fink. And she's like, well, let's hug first. That's, you know, all I really want. We'll start there, and then we'll heat it up more. And he hugs her. And then all of a sudden, Lillian Garcia just comes in and slaps him. Was there a feud between them? Something yes. like Because it's, it's literally not explained at all other than she kind of says, you're trying to take my jaw or trying to get rid of me or something. I, I have no idea. Right. This is what we call a cool-down segment. You don't want to go <laughs> from a hot match to a hot match. You want to mm-hmm. give the 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 fans a chance to catch their breath, go run to the bathroom, go get a soda. That's Buy why you some put merch. something like this on. Because <laughs> oh, I was literally taken aback. I was like, just show another video package or promo or something. Because it, it was it was literally like after like a cool down period. That was a that was an ice age after that match. Because like I said, that <laughs> even I'll admit that was a really good match. To to to, to and they really should have just said Brock versus Rock is canceled. Oh boy! At that at that point, and I'm not bad mouthing the match. Like it's not like it was a terrible match. But you go from that. Do you know what I mean? It's a tough act to follow. It is. It's like it, it's it's like um, trying to. I'm trying to remember who it was. It was like somebody like an old story that I heard. It was like Green Day, like going like, yeah, we're not going out there. We're we're not you know going out second to last. We should have Bon Jovi go out there first. And they're like, no, you like you not Bon Jovi. And Bon Jovi's like, we'll do it. We'll do it. Have have. Green Day go on after us. We're fine with that. And I don't know if this is a true story or not, but went out, you know, you know, Bon Jovi at the time was bigger than Green Day and they did it. And then like Green Day had to deal with the fact that they went on after, after Bon Jovi. It's like, you suck. Get off the stage. We're all going home. And that's what kind of like, it felt like with rock versus Brock, because you come down after, after that big match. And I like the fact that they were like, 
calling like is Brock the next big thing. We have big hopes for for Brock and this and that. And I'm like, wait till you see 2015, 16, 17. Don't you worry. Um, because, uh, you know, Rock, I, I, I literally, Brock is was unstoppable for the last two years from from what I saw. But I like the way the Rock just lays the belt down on the on the ramp and just starts just running in. He's he's gonna do it. Lesnar just like you know, Roy Rage is all over the Rock for a while. Um, I like the way uh, you know he throws him outside the ring, and while Lesnar's distracting the ref, Polly accidentally stubs his toe on the Rock while he's outside the <laughs> ring, and then Polly checks to see. If his boots are laced while the rock is running around the ring and he accidentally trips, but that was, he was just trying to help him out. And then when like Lesnar's, you know, distracting the ref again and, and rock is laying on the turnbuckle, he's making, he making sure he can breathe by checking his throat. <laughs> Cause these are all things that, you know, good old Lesnar would do, but you know, rock basically gets the better of Lesnar by pulling him in the ring and beats him up, you know, and you got to love, you gotta love uh, Heyman for you know do, letting him do that. I mean Heyman getting knocked in the ring, beating him up, and there was a cool moment when Rock and Brock are fighting and they both fall down and the ref does the, the he's gonna count them both out one two and they get to five and now if I thought the kip up was cool in in Shawn Michaels match they both do a kip up on five almost like they knew both to do it at the oh, same time. Come on. So, that's all I'm saying. Um, but it's just funny. I mean, so anyway, basically the rock gets beat. Um, and now he, uh, Lesnar gets the title. How long had been, had Brock been around at this time? Cause the way they were making it sound, he'd only been there like three months. Okay. So he, he had been in developmental at the time for maybe about a year or so. Mm-hmm. He had just debuted on TV in April. Okay, so this is August, right? Right, we're like four months into his WWE career, and up to this point, he just, like, ripped through everybody. And as they showed in that thing, you know, he beats Hulk Hogan uh, on that episode of SmackDown, and that was maybe, you know, okay, it's a big deal. It's like, oh my god, he beat the immortal Hulk Hogan. But that was maybe one of less than five clean losses that Hulk Hogan did in his entire career. That was a clean loss? Yes. Oh my goodness. O- only the Mountie gets those. <laughs> well, televi- Well, again, that's the thing. I'm sure the- I've never seen the Mountie match. I think it appear- it exists on online. <laughs> but I'm sure there was a lot of interference, a lot of horseplay, mm-hmm. a lot of shenanigans. But this was Hulk just got beat up by Brock. Hulk, you know, does the blade job, and he passed out in a bear hug. You know, he just... That was it. Like, Brock killed him. Okay. Kind of the way Brock does it now. This was before Suplex City was the thing. Oh. When Taz was the Suplex master back then. Right. And he Taz did no suplexes during announcing. <laughs> and now it's I didn't I didn't watch the entirety of this uh event. Do you recall any time Taz saying yambag during the course of this event? He might have. Because that was one of his catchphrases. You know, like somebody does a low blow, mm-hmm. and he would say he got him right in the yam bag. Oh, I thought he would be calling a person a yam bag. No. Oh. No, I didn't. I don't think I recall yam bag, so. <laughs> maybe if they had, uh, maybe if I had subtitles, I would have read it. Oh, there you go. 
So all in all, an eventful show, an enjoyable show? A middle-of-the-road show. Okay. Well, but I'm not, like, you know, uh, because of the earlier matches did not blow me away. If that, like, literally there was nothing in the early matches that excited me. But then I, uh, you know, like, I try to be truthful here. That Shawn Michaels Triple H match was pretty amazing. So, like, that brings it up to a a middle-of-the-road to slightly above. But that match that I saw was one of the best matches that I, that you've shown me ever. So if that makes any sense to what I'm saying, it's definitely a two match show, right? Um, not to say that the rest of the matches are actively terrible, but the, you know, the, the Sean, uh, triple H matches so far above like anything else that's on the card. It's, it's unheard of. Right. It is. I really, that's the thing that stood out. I'm like, I'm like, okay, this, I could see why Joe gave me this pay-per-view because of this. Correct. But. So, enough about this wrestling nonsense. Let's get into what everybody else uh, came yes. here for. Which... Take, take us home, Joe. All right, so, uh, this is the first Doctor Who of what would, what, what do you, what do you hoovers call it? The modern era? New who. New who? That's what I call it. Okay. Ninth so, Doctor, first this, season. This is two episodes. Uh, was it uh, uh, Eccleston? What's his first name again? Christopher Eccleston. Christopher Eccleston. I knew it was Eccleston was the last name. So, just to read to you from the DVD booklet. Now, I do just want to say... Uh, I wish I had video of Todd trying to close the DVD box that this came in. <laughs> oh, my God. Because that would be its own separate thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, now... Okay, now... I... Well... What? <laughs> cracking myself up. Okay. So, it's two episodes that Todd had me watch. It was a one... You know, part one, part two. Um, the first episode is called The Empty Child. And... Uh, the description inside the DVD booklet states, uh, London, 1941, at the height of the Blitz, the army guards a mysterious cylinder and a ho- and homeless children, um, army's not guarding homeless children, living on bomb sites. Oh, and it's, it, now see, this is a poorly constructed sentence. It is, yes. Okay, it says, the army guards a mysterious cylinder and homeless children living on bomb sites are terrorized by an earthly child. Rose meets the dashing Jack Harkness and wonders if she found a hero even better than the Doctor. Now, Todd, I would never say this in a million years, but I might have to go back and watch these two episodes because it states that the episodes have commentary from the writer Stephen Moffat, mm-hmm. uh, Captain Jack uh, Harkness himself, and right. the visual effects supervisor. Oh, boy. Because he's got a lot to answer for. What? From watching these two episodes. Okay. So we start with uh, the doctor, who I'm going to call Dr. Fonzie, because he's wearing a leather <laughs> jacket, because he's cool. The U-boat commander. Right. And uh, Roddy Piper's daughter. Why is he? Lacey. Why is she Roddy Piper's daughter? Her name is Rose. What's the actress's name? Billy Piper. Okay. Okay, I see. I got you. All right, so Hot Rod's daughter, Dr. Fonzie, you're on the TARDIS. (laughs) He sees the the fantastic uh, Dreamcast era graphics. 
of a purple cylinder show up, and he says that we have to follow it, and the reason that he gives for doing so is it's mauve and it looks dangerous. So it crash lands, uh, as mentioned, in 1941 London during the height of uh, the bombings by the Nazis. Um, and as per the, it would not be a Doctor Who adventure if the Doctor and Companion did not listen to each other and become separated. That that's the best joke in the in the thing because he says it and it happened all the time in the classic and they get it like you know in the first season right out of the way they're like well this is later in the season but they're like yep it happens all the time maybe someday i'll find one that doesn't wander off so and he says this to a cat by the way Mm -hmm. so uh dr fonzie ends up in the whitest jazz club in the history of the world now granted i understand it's the 40s but still Mm-hmm. Um, he goes in there and he just takes the mic after the woman's done s- singing and asks everyone if they've seen this cylinder that crash landed here mm-hmm. and they all laugh at him. So while this is going on, uh, hot rod's daughter, uh, is following a creepy child who is wearing a gas mask who keeps saying, are you my mummy? Are you my mummy? Mm-hmm. So she follows this kid, she ends up on the roof of a building, and if you thought the special effects earlier in the episode were terrible when they saw the mauve cylinder going through space... Just, can we stop here for a second? Go ahead. The reason he was chasing the cylinder wasn't because it was painted mauve, it was giving off a code mauve, which in space, mauve is the color of distress... Not like on Earth. Only us silly Earthlings use red as the color. That's why they were chasing it. Was this explained in the episode? Yes, it was. Hmm. Once again, someone had a few too many root beers. This was within seconds of the episode. So, again, I was barely even halfway into one. Okay, no problem. Go ahead. So, anyway. uh, Hot Rod's daughter ends up on the roof following the, uh, the gas mask kid. She finds a rope that's hanging from a blimp or a zeppelin or whatever it is. And then in some of the maybe worst special effects I've seen, and I've seen the eight previous doctors, (laughs) she proceeds to hang from this rope in midair for the better part of nine hours. I don't think it was nine hours, but go on. It certainly felt like it. So that's the, there's your B story for this first episode. (laughs) It's her hanging poorly in front of a green screen from a rope. So while this is going on, the phone starts ringing on the TARDIS. First of all, the doctor didn't even know there was a phone on it, didn't even know it was working, whatever it is. So he goes to pick it up, and this little girl shows up, this girl Nancy, who would become like the B player of the A story. She tells the doctor not to answer it, very cryptically, whatever, whatever. He picks up the phone, and it's the same kid that we saw earlier asking for his mother. And I'm not going to keep saying, are you my mummy? Because I don't want to sound like a dumbass. That is one of the greatest, that is the one of the most famous lines from New Who. Are you my mummy? It even comes back a few times. Oh, boy. There's, it's, you know, it's the callback. Right. The 10th Doctor's wearing a gas mask, and he walks up to somebody, he's like, are you my mummy? And I was like, I get that reference. See, now that you say that, I get that reference. Mm-hmm. So, Nancy disappears, and she's got a bunch of uh, homeless children that she's in the care of. 
people are evacuating London because it's being bombed, but they're evacuating, like, with giant, like, Thanksgiving meals all prepared for only two people. So the kids go in, she's preparing the meal for them, the doctor shows up, he's cracking jokes, he's making funny faces, but he's also trying to figure out what's going on with all this. Mm -hmm. So the gas mask kid shows up, he's at the door, she's freaking out, she's trying to save these kids. Obviously she knows more than she's letting on, the doctor's trying to figure it out. So there's your, you know, like, there's your A story going on. Back to the B story, we're 17 hours in, a Hot Rod's <laughs> daughter hanging from this rope in front of a green screen, then all of a sudden some, some like, wavy lines come in that we're supposed to believe are a tractor beam, and this is when we're introduced to Merlin's son from the Arrow TV show. Uh, <laughs> yep. John Barrowman looks like a baby in this. Yes, he does. He looks like a small child. Uh, so, I guess this was their way of introducing, like, a Han Solo-type character into the Doctor Who universe? Uh, an a daring young sexual action star, yes. Right, sexual action star. <laughs> Christ. So, uh, there's a whole bunch of things where Hot Rod's daughter is, like, all verklempt over him. Oh my goodness, he's so beautiful, and everything else. She lies and says that she's the time... They don't say Time Lord. They don't say Time Master. They say that they're Time something. Agents. Because he thinks right. he thinks they're Time Agents because they have a time machine. Is there a difference between Time Agents and Time Masters and all this other shit? Okay. Time Lords, which are the Doctor's people, are completely different. If you go back to that fourth Doctor nope. story with the homunculus. I'm remember the homunculus? <laughs> but, uh... That that guy who was uh, General Greel, who you love so much from that one, right. was on the run from the time agents. They're basically like time police, but they've never really shown up in an episode. They're just mentioned throughout. You know what I mean? Like they're a thing. Um, so yeah, we've never seen them. But he just thinks that they're that they're time agents, and they would buy the the cylinder off them because you know it's dangerous, and they would to get rid of it to clean it up. It you know it's gonna mess with stuff in the past, so that's what a time agent is. So he thinks that that's what they are. Mm -hmm. He's gonna make a deal with them because uh, he could take them to uh, the cylinder that they're looking for, and they have less than two hours before bombs are dropped on it. Right. But she's poor at negotiating because she's still smitten with this guy. And he's really turning on the charm, and he's putting on music, and he's dancing, and he's giving her champagne, and he's really, you know, we're really hammering the fact home that this guy's like a smooth talker, mm -hmm. ladies' man, everyone's man, romantic, all that sort of stuff. Yep, everybody, anybody and everything, he'll try anything once. He he makes Captain Kirk look like a monk with a vow of celibacy. Right. Now, this is a long, uh, this is a far cry to have a character introduced like this in a show that was essentially started as Let's Teach Babies Science. And history, yes. But you have to admit, it was a very open character in, in the year 2005, though. Right. Who, oh, absolutely. 
I that's one of the things like you know uh, people you know make fun. I don't care, but it's you had a character who was like, "Yep, I like men, I like women, I like whatever," and that was all the way back in you know in whatever we're doing now, 2017. That was 2005, 2006. To me, that's that's like crazy thinking about that. I was actually just having a similar conversation today uh, with some people, a younger person, I'll say, uh, someone who's in their late twenties. And we were remarking on a picture that we both saw, and he's like, 10 years ago, that wouldn't fly. And I said, 10 years ago, people were talking like this and this and this, and if you acted in a very progressive way toward, um, you know, sexuality in this way, people would be, like, taken aback, because, like, oh, no, you know, we're still in this mindset that, that, that that's bad, and we don't talk about that, and if we do talk about it, it's in a negative way. Mm-hmm. So to portray it in a positive light that it's not his defining character, that it's like, oh, he's this, you know, he's essentially a gay guy who just happens to do X, Y, Z. It's like, you know, he's an adventurer and he's this and he's a pilot and he's this. And then like ninth thing down, it's like, oh, yeah, he also might be like, you know, bisexual. Right. Where it wasn't like that's his thing. Like that's his defining characteristic. It's one of like 15 things on his table. Yep. Okay. So so Dr. Fonzie has the conversation with Nancy. He gets more information out of her, essentially, that the reason she's saving these kids is because in one of the other bombings, she lost her brother, Jamie. And there's a lot of allegory between the gas mask kid and is this her brother? Um, There's a lot of that going on. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm kind of glossing over a lot of this only because I kind of want to save my overall thoughts for the end of this. So they come upon where the cylinders fell. It's being guarded by the army, but it's in front of this hospital, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Nancy tells Dr. Fonzie, it's like, okay, there's your thing. But before you do, you're going to want to go into the hospital and talk to, so, like, talk to the doctor. And there's a, there's a scene that I guess if you'd watch this on TV, like in its intended way, with like commercial breaks, um, mm-hmm. I think it would have been like a cool, like, pop you moment. Where she's like, oh, you have to go to this building because there's someone there that you need to talk to. Oh, yeah, who's that? The doctor. Dun, dun, dun. You know, like that sort of thing, right? I mm-hmm. like the way that that was kind of put together. Um, so he goes, and there's Dr. Constantine there. And the building, uh, the hospital is full of people who not only are all gas masked up, just like the little boy who's looking for his mother, but also the mask is fused to their face. They all have the same exact injury pattern and so on and so forth. So the doctor kind of tells us that this is a virus. This is something that came from whatever the cylinder is, that it's essentially a virus that spreads as a physical impairment. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the other ways is they'll all have a, like a, like a, like a big scar on their right hand as well. That's kind of like a telltale sign that someone's infected. Right. With these, on again, I have to tip my cap to these, there's a lot of very subtle things that they do in this iteration of the Doctor that in previous iterations of the Doctor would not have been as subtle. Mm-hmm. So you could see the storytelling is maturing a bit. Um, so we do see that Dr. Constantine has the mark on his hand, so obviously he's, he's infected here as well. And then we see a transformation scene of how he becomes one of the gas mask people in 
while I did rag on the special effects earlier, I guess they saved all their special effects budget for this one transformation. It was really cool. Where the he has the the mask come out of his mouth and what? everything. It, it it does look really good. And like I said, that's 2005. That's 12 years ago on TV. Like, where a show that was starting out again and they were like well we have to see how it does and they you know they they you know it flinched because they didn't have the budget but a few times they you know they step up to the plate with that shit right and and is obviously you know i don't know what the budget would be on a bbc show but this made me think back to when i'm still watching like let's just say smallville right Mm -hmm. where a lot of the special effects in smallville per episode would be very suspect but then there'd be, like, one scene or one shot where, like, okay, that's where they spent the special effects budget on this episode for that one shot to make it look really, really good. Right. And a lot of times you put your money down on something and that one special effects shot looks really good and maybe you should have saved it for the 17 hours where Hot Rod's daughter is hanging from a <laughs> rope in front of green screen. But, in all seriousness, I think they did a good job of having it here. So... Dr. Constantine, Dr. Constantine becomes one of the gas mask people. All the other gas mask people pop up. And it's at this time where all of our characters are now back together. Hot Rod's daughter, um, Merlin's son, Dr. Fonzie. (laughs) Right. Don't forget who they are. So now we go back, now we go to part two of our two-part episode, which I'll get to the title of that episode a little bit later on. Oh boy, I think I know where you're going with that. Okay. So, while this is going on, uh, Nancy ends up getting pulled back into the house where they were originally going to steal that meal from the people. Mm -hmm. And the man of the house is, like, browbeating her, saying that this food came from the sweat from my brow when I worked, and how dare you steal this? And she turns the tables on him, essentially saying, you know, everyone in town says the reason that you live so high on the hog, if you will, is because your wife is sleeping with the local butcher. But I know it's not her that's with the local butcher. And again, kind of dealing with a subplot like that, and she kind of now has, you know, she has hand over this guy, essentially just saying like, hey, you make me something to go, I'm leaving, you're not going to give me this grief, because I've got these kids I've got to take care of. Right. So, just kind of bouncing around with these subplots, there's a bunch of stuff of... Our three main characters, the Doctor, Captain Jack, and uh, Rose, again, enough with the goofy names. They're in the hospital, they're constantly on the run from the gas mask people, they're trying to figure out what's going on, um, and also, the Doctor looks at Rose's hands, you know, because she's telling him where she was, and he's like, well, how come your hands aren't all messed up? Well, when I went on the Captain Jack's ship, he has the nanogenes... That as soon as I came on, they kind of fixed up my hands. So it turns out that the ship that the captain has is a Chula ship, which is also the same kind of ship that crashed onto Earth. That ship also has the same nanogenes on it. The nanogenes are what is this quote-unquote virus that is turning everyone into the gas mask people. Right. Okay. But we also learn... That the child, which I guess is the avatar of whatever the disease is, is following Nancy. 
The right. other kids are safe because, like, she comes back to them and they're like, oh, well, we thought you were going to abandon us. You know, we need you to keep us safe. And she kind of explains to them that she's starting to figure it out as well that you're safe if I'm not here. Because whatever this thing is, is following me. It's right. not following you. It doesn't care about you. It's following me. So they're piecing everything together. Uh, from the bombing, and the doctor puts it all together in one of the... I joked before and said I might have to go back and watch this because of the special effects commentary person. Mm -hmm. But I might want to go back, and I don't think I need to because from what I remember, the pieces are there. But they're kind of not all there. But the doctor, like, it was a, let's say it was a hundred piece jigsaw puzzle. And 25 of the pieces were there over the course of the two episodes. Right. The doctor fills us in with the other 75 pieces. Mm -hmm. He figures out that when the nan when the ship came, the nanogenes, the first thing that they came upon was Nancy's brother, who right. was in the bombing. He suffered these injuries. This was their first exposure to what a human was. This is what they thought all humans were. Busted up, broken things, gas mask, everything else like that. So that's what they're turning the human race into, what they first encountered as the few, the first human that they, they came upon. Right. He figures all this out. He also figures out that that is not Nancy's brother, the little boy who is the avatar for whatever the nanogenes are doing, that it's Nancy's son. Mm -hmm. Now, he does claim that Nancy looks to be some t somewhere in her 20s. Actress is a little young to be playing the age, but I'll forgive it. Because it was a very interesting feel. Right. But there was enough of the stuff there that as the Doctor is saying it, you're also putting the pieces of the puzzle together as well. And it's almost like you figure it out seconds before the Doctor says it. And I just want to say something. You you hit on something that's perfect. Those are the best Moffat episodes. Like, Moffat does the best episodes. And you always figure... Moffat is a writer. You figure it out eight seconds before the the character reveals everything that goes on. And it's almost like an aha moment in, in, in these things. And that was this. He's kind of like, yes. And you're, you... The way the, the lines are written and everything, the pieces... Finally, that were that Moffat like to me usually brilliantly puts in separate places, lines them up in order that your brain needs to figure out the clues. If you know what I mean, and that's what happens, and that's the genius of it. And he he says she's twenty, but she looks much younger. And like he said in nineteen forties, it's like a unwed mother, you know, who had whatever she'd be ostracized. So he's tr she's trying to hide it. I just thought all of that worked really well and was brilliant. Like you said, in this, the storytelling definitely did mature. Right. So it's obviously this is when we figure out that the avatar, the news and when we all figure out that the avatar is this kid, uh, her son, the doctor essentially tells her to go to him. She embraces him and he's encouraging the nanogenes to figure it out as well. Mm -hmm. uh, the nanogenes do figure it out, and they recognize the same DNA that the two have, and they fix everyone back to the way they were, even better than the way that they were. Now, at this point, at the end of the episode, after all this seriousness, 
And after two episodes of a TV show that were very well done, I thought, very creepy, a, a real, real super, um, like, Twilight Zone vibe to the whole thing, mm-hmm. where we, I don't want to say flush it down the toilet, but we kind of negate it all, with the end of it all kind of being all jokey. Right. Where the woman shows up, and she remarks that she came in, um, that she was missing a leg, and the doc- <laughs> Dr. Constantine is like, oh, well, you know, the war makes us not remember a lot of things, you know? Right. Then, the bomb that's coming that's gonna, bl- that's gonna land right on the, the cylinder thing, Captain Jack goes back to his ship, uses his, uh... Tractor beam. Tractor beam to pull it back onto his ship. He's not going to be able to escape, but he beams himself back down to the tar. Now he's part of the crew. Um, and everyone's just kind of like having fun and having jokes. And the doc- Dr. Fonzie fixed everything. And Rose is like, oh, you know, you're just as good as Father Christmas. And then he makes a joke that maybe he was because he knew that when she was 12, she got a red bike for Christmas. And... Then he's trying to prove to her from a subplot that means absolutely nothing from earlier in this second episode, which is the title of the episode, The Doctor Dances. He's now going to show her that he can dance, but she wants to dance with Captain Jack because he's a pretty boy. Are you... Okay. Go ahead. I'm just going to... I'm going to touch on some things. Um, The whole thing where they get jokey at the end... I'm fine with because something the doctor says, and it's my favorite line, and it's probably my favorite ninth doctor moment of his, like he has a brief run of one season, is he does the whole thing where he's like, the nanogenes figure out that the little kid is the daughter and understands the template now. It's like, this is what a live human is. I can fix things now. And now the doctor's like, not only can that happen, he goes, I know how to control these and I can fix everybody who's been gas masked and he just says rose you want moves i got moves the whole dances metaphor which i'm going to get to in a minute and he's like just this once rose everybody lives everybody lives and i don't know if you've noticed in all the doctor who episodes that you've watched somebody dies in every single episode and there are very few, there are other ones, but there are very few episodes where nobody dies when the doctor shows up. Literally, they say in this season that in other languages, the doctor's name translates to like the oncoming storm. And because where the doctor goes, TARDIS usually takes him to where trouble is. And he's there to help, but somebody's going to die because the, he's, the trouble is bad, that, that he's there. And so basically, it's him being very, very happy. Now, granted, the Dr. Constantine joke, whatever you want to say about, but them dancing and do all their stuff and fun stuff is the doctor's like, I've had this adventure and nobody died. I'm very, very happy and everything turned out outright, which is completely different from the way things go for him. And also, you didn't watch, you know, you don't know about the, the overall season. You find out the doctor killed all his people and the enemy that they were fighting in the time war that was ripping the universe apart. So the doctor has this manic like survivor's guilt from the adventure that he had off screen for this. And he has these really high highs and these really low lows because of the, he has, it's never stated, but you gather that he has like post-war, like postpartum depression and all that stuff. So that's what I always took 
from the doctor being like that and that part of the story. And the other thing the doctor dances, it's all a euphemism for being in relationships and sex. Because even at one point, uh, Captain Jack goes, I'm going to distract that guard. Rose is like, no, I should do it. And he's like, no, trust me. He doesn't like your type. I've been around. And he goes out and she's like, wow, he gets around. He's like, yeah, he's from the 51st century. He goes out among his, your people go out amongst the stars and they dance with everybody. And it's also where they're telling the doctor, she's like, you don't dance. He's like, I'm 900 years old. I've been around. I've, I've danced. And it's their way of like cutely stating that the doctor has been in a relationship. The doctor has fooled around with women before. And, um, after the doctor, as we talked about him kissing the, the companion, people were in uproar. And there's a line where they say, like, you know what? If the doctor dances, the world won't stop turning. So everybody relax. And that's them just basically saying the doctor, you know, isn't a non, you know, sexual being. It's like, it, it'll be all right if he likes a girl. Everybody calm down. <laughs> And that's what I gather, like, especially from these episodes. Okay, so they got a little too cute with their metaphor mm-hmm. regarding the doctor dancing and the name. The I think they could have gotten away with naming the episode The Empty Child Part 2. Right. I will say, in closing, I really like these two episodes. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I thought um, the way they were shot were very well done. I thought things were done in a very creepy manner with the kid. Um, very Twilight zone the way that the whole story kind of unraveled, and as you mentioned, how Moffat is the guy who kind of puts things together, and then we, the reader, listener, viewer, figure it out like eight seconds before it's revealed, which is, you know, a very interesting storytelling technique to kind of make us, the watchers, feel way smarter than we actually are, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I liked it. And I kind of razz the special effects a little bit, because... But, uh, like I said, the, the transformation at the end of the first episode, and then they did another transformation in the second episode, which I thought they were only going to do one between the two episodes. Mm-hmm. But they did one per episode, so... Again, the special effects budget was spent there, and I thought that was the best place uh, for them to spend the special effects budget on that transformation to the gas mask person. The thing that I thought was the weakest about these episodes was the doctor himself. I thought Eccleson, his his performance was uneven. Mm -hmm. He was making, and again, whatever his quirks were as the doctor, whatever it was, he, like, he's going, like, his, and it was more than like the direction. It was the way that it was written. But it was him delivering these lines, acting in the way that he was, seeming like he was almost like mugging for the camera at points. Mm-hmm. And th- it started right off when he goes up on stage and he's delivering the lines uh, to the jazz club about like looking for the cylinder, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is a very weirdly acted scene. And like I said, I don't know if it was him. I don't know if it was the director. I don't know what it was, but I felt as though his performance was very uneven. But I liked everything all other than him. Okay. Um. I'm sure there's other episodes where it's a little bit more coherent in regards to what his performance is supposed to be and the way that his doctor is supposed to be, because every doctor has their own little quirks and quarbles and whatever else, but the other doctors having their whatever it was weren't as distracting to me as Eccleson was here. I don't think you'd like him much more then, because that's pretty much what you see is what you get. Okay. 
Like, he's very manic and, and, like, almost is not aware of his situation around him. Like you said, when he's telling the, like, he's asking if something fell out of the sky and he's mugging it up. And then other times he's really, like, dark, like I said. Um, so I don't, I don't know. The thing that, that makes me sad is he only had the one season to do what he did, and then he regenerates at the end of the season, which blew, like, new, new, new fans' minds. They didn't understand what that was. And he left, and he was always like, yeah, I was only contracted to do one season. And it was like, and later on he came back and said, no, I was, I was supposed to do more. I had huge fallings out behind the scenes with, like, directors who did the thing. Like, he's a really working-class hero actor, and he was like, oh, well, I saw the, in these scenes they were, like, treating these extras shitty. And, like, on cold days they were in the water doing stuff. And I'm just making kind of stories up. And they would be like, oh, well, they're in the water. And they're like, can we get out and get warm? He's like, no, for this, we, we're losing the light. And he said, like, the director would treat, they treat me fine, but he'd treat the other people like dirt. And he had falling out with different people on the production. He's like, I'm just walking away. And he left, and he was supposed to come back for the 50th anniversary, but he's like a really weird cat in, in that, like, he won't do sequels. Like, he mentioned in interviews, he's like, I, I don't believe in sequels. Like, so, like, why he was signed up for Destro and the Cobra movie when he doesn't, like, you're trying to do your tentpole movies, and he's like, I don't do sequels. So he wasn't back whether that was part of it or not. He, he He's really weird, but he wouldn't, he was thinking about coming back for the 50th anniversary, and he was like, ah, oh, the script, blah, 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 I'm stepping out, and that's when they brought John Hurt in to be the missing doctor that nobody knew about in the middle, and he was like, I'm just going to walk away, and everybody was hoping for the night to come back, but he's like one of those, he's one of the only guys who's like completely distanced himself from the role as a doctor. Everybody else has kind of embraced it and went like, well, we're, we're going down in history as the, this character. But Eccleston, like, doesn't do the convention circuit. He doesn't, he, he never wants to revisit it. He's never going to come back. And to me, that's almost kind of sad that they had a great actor, in my opinion, who went on to do this, but is now like, yeah, I'm never, I'm never going to be involved with it again. Don't bother me. So kind of sad for me anyway. But Up to see how his career is doing right now. Um, he's, he seems to be happy with what he's like. He's like genuinely like likes to be an actor. Like if he's doing like, you know, stage in, in England, he's happy. And, you know, he probably got a pretty check for that, that, that GI Joe movie. And, you know, like they don't just give you nothing to be in a big budget summer blockbuster. Touche. Um, he's on something called the leftovers, a TV show. Yes, I know that's uh, that's one of the. I believe that's an HBO show with like Lindelof and the guys who did Lost and stuff like that. Right. So that's over with though. So right, but that. But was he's like, always working. Yeah, he's working. Sure. All right. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed the episode. I did. I really did. Um, like I said, I thought it was well done. Um, it wasn't. And I skipped around a lot of stuff. You know, hey, listen, there's sonic screwdrivers, and there's a gun, and then there's. A gimmick where the gun could shoot squares, and in a very ham-fisted thing, the doctor steals Captain Jack's gun and gives him a banana because with what the best joke with "Don't lose that banana." Why they're a great source of potassium, right? One of the best Doctor Who jokes ever. Mm. But anyway, maybe the dry British wit of these shows is lost on me—a dumb American. 
Yes, that's probably what it is. It absolutely is what it is. But no, this is um, not like I was blown away and had like a blast, but this was good television that I could recommend to a sci-fi person. Okay, cool. Yes. You liked one, I'm glad. Right. Other than the Aztec one. Yes. Okay. Well, I look forward to giving you more. We only have three more to go, Joe. Right. And then never have to watch Doctor Who again. And I'll never have to watch wrestling again. We'll see about that.